0: Uh, two things as we get going here. Um, One is one of my friends who's been a longtime pastor, uh, his name is Leonard. He actually uh, wrote this little tiny booklet about Christmas um, called God Has a Thing for Names, and it is fantastic. And there's a handful of them out in the lobby, and they're just just giving them away. It's a great uh, thing if you have kids to actually read through and sit around and and help them kind of wrap their hearts around who Jesus is and who God is to us at Christmas time. And so um, feel free to take one of those um, if you see them in the lobby. Also, Advent is a beautiful time of year as we anticipate Jesus' arrival and the coming of heaven to Earth. And so uh, each week we've been kind of celebrating a step in the Advent. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago, um, we celebrated Hope. Anybody got a lighter that will actually has a flame? Let's see here. Oh, there we go. I needed to turn, turn it up to flamethrower status. So we, we uh, lit the candle of hope. And then last week we talked about peace. And then today we're going to talk about joy. We will light our final candle next week at Christmas Eve. Well, um, I, I'm missing my little clicker. Is it right there? There we go. Okay. So uh, if you're new around here or we haven't met or you haven't spent any time with me or my wife, you don't have to spend very much time with us before you realize that uh, Hansi, um, you know, she's the one that sort of makes it all go. Like she is... She's the fries and the happy meal. She's the secret sauce. And it's true not just for us as a church. Uh, It's true as a family too. Like without her, my whole life would be a mess, both figuratively and literally. Uh, Partly because like she's really naturally organized and I'm not. And so she's detailed and she's structured and she's planned out. And and, uh, me on the other hand, I've had a couple of times in my life where I've made a plan to make a plan and to be more structured. But I didn't actually show up to that meeting with myself, and so it just never happened. Have you ever done that though, where you, you made a plan to make a plan, like that's it? When it's the first of the year, when it comes January first, it's time to change some things, and, and we're gonna get the and you know, we're gonna get organized, and we're gonna get this stuff together. And we get my act together. I'm gonna lose some weight, or I'm gonna organize my fine, I'm gonna clean out the garage, whatever it is, right? But then nothing happens. You ever done that? Ever just just me? So uh, the other thing about my wife is that she loves lists. Her whole life is driven by lists. In fact, one time I was giving her a hard time about it, and she's like, you don't, you don't know what you're missing. Like, you know that feeling when you've made a list, and then you've done something on the list, and you get to cross that thing off your list. It's one of the best feelings of all time. See, there's, you're, we're in a room full of psychos, just like you, babe. <laughs> so she makes a list for everything, and and it got me thinking, like, I don't actually think Mrs. Claus gets enough credit at Christmas time, because we sing about Santa making a list and how he even checks it twice, but if you're a guy, and if you're married, and you have a list, there's a very high probability that that list wasn't made by you. It was made by your wife for you, and I know I'm just kind of painting with a broad brush here, but 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 knowing when the kids are sleeping and when they're awake and being worried about who's been bad or good, that has Mrs. Claus energy like all over it. Like that doesn't seem like a grandpa thing, a Santa thing at all. But the Clauses aren't the only ones making lists this time of year. In fact, lots of people make Christmas lists. And, and I, I think that's kind of, funny when you think about it, because it's like, oh, you know what, don't feel like you have to get me anything, I mean, that's not really what Christmas is all about, but if you do, this is exactly what I want, and don't get me anything else, <laughs> or, or anybody have that family member who's always insists that you make a list, whether you were a kid, or as a grandparent, or a parent, and you would make the list, but they would never get you anything on the list, and it's like, what, what was the point of that, like, Or if you're a parent, you ever look at your kid's Christmas list and you're thinking, well, you're about to be disappointed. Uh, I know what you're getting for Christmas, a letdown. That's what you're getting. (laughs) At times, my kid's lists have been like, look, we want to visit Santa at the North Pole and go on a Disney cruise around the world. And I'd love a unicorn and maybe a robot butler. That's it. That's all I want. There was one time when my oldest son, Jaron, who's 22 now, but he I don't know, he was probably eight or nine, he was making a Christmas list, and I don't know what he was thinking or what he even put on it, but he's over there writing a, a Christmas list for Santa, and he looks up and he said, Dad, do we know anybody with a private jet? And I was like, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what do you think? Have you met our friends? Like, do you, do you, have you met me? Like, we don't, no, no, we don't know anybody with a private jet. But but change, times have changed a lot since I was a kid, because I remember when I was a kid, the thing that I wanted most, and if you're a child of the 80s, you probably will remember this, I wanted the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe Castle Grace play playset. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, there it is, the original. They remade it. It's not as good. This one was the original, fantastic, so great. I mean, look look at, look at all that it includes a a jaw bridge that opens and closes, not a drawbridge, a jaw bridge, all right? Combat trainers, armory and weapons, a trap door over the dungeon. Like what more could you want? It it has a working elevator in it. Somehow it just made sense that if you're gonna ride a green tiger into battle with the forces of darkness with a sword as your only weapon, you should do so in nothing more than a Speedo and some stylish (laughs) knee-high boots because that's what, that's what He-Man was rocking. But the commercials made it look so cool. And it was one of the first things that I remember thinking, if I could just get that thing, it'd be the last thing that I'd ever ask for. It'd be the last thing that I'd ever need, because it's the ultimate. It would be the thing. I, I, what more could anybody ever want to be happy? And, and one year, I actually got it. It was actually secondhand, because my parents... Uh, couldn't afford the, 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 a brand new one, so they found one that someone was getting rid of. But I didn't care. It was awesome. And to be honest, I loved it for about eight days. <laughs> and then it was kind of boring. Then I realized, oh, they lied to you on the commercials. Because in the commercials, like the weapons shoot lasers and he flies and the tiger actually runs. But these are just stupid plastic little toys, right? And so I was over it. And then I saw a commercial for a big wheel and I was like, look, I take it back. This is the last thing I'll ever need. There's only three months until my birthday. Woo, woo. But have you ever done that? Like where you're just like, I got to have this thing, right? We, we've all done that more times than we can count. We get fixated on something and we convince ourselves that we need it. I mean, I, you know, we say things like, I, you know, we say to ourselves, I, I know like things can't make you happy, but I think this thing actually will make me happy. When you think about your life and all the people you know, everybody wants something that they think will change Everything. And that something could be really anything. Sometimes it's a simple pleasure. Sometimes it's getting stuff, right? It's like new shoes or that toy when you're a kid or it's your favorite drink or it's relaxing on the beach or that round of golf. If you could just play Pebble Beach, if you could just do whatever it is, right? Other times it's more about status. If we could go to this exotic location, if we had this car or lived in that neighborhood or wore these brands, like that would be the thing that it would just, I know that people would actually respect me. I know that people would actually see that I'm doing pretty good, right? Or, or maybe it's something relational. If we could just get that person to love us, if we could fix this relationship, if we could somehow get the respect of our father. But we run into the same he-man problem with all of those things. When we get the thing that we're after, it doesn't feel as good as we thought or last as long as we'd hoped. Isn't it strange that we talk all about how we know that no amount of getting stuff could ever actually satisfy us or make us happy, while at the same time, behaving like getting more stuff or getting the right stuff will actually satisfy us and make us happy. And I think... We're actually most guilty of doing that at Christmas time. And when it doesn't deliver, inevitably, we think, man, I just, I should have known better, better but maybe the problem isn't the, the, the thing that I got. Maybe I just got the wrong thing. Maybe if I just get this thing over here, maybe if we get that house instead of this one, maybe if we move to that and we just swap it out for another thing, which is ridiculous, right? Because we've all played that game. See, if your joy is in a thing, it will always be in a thing that you don't have. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with having nice things, nothing wrong with giving gifts, nothing wrong with buying stuff for people. In fact, uh, if you know anything about the book, The Five Love Languages, it's kind of ubiquitous now in our, in our culture. We talk about it a lot, but there's five love languages, right? And one of them is uh, words of affirmation. One of them is acts of service. One of them is physical touch. One of them is quality time, and one of them is gift giving, giving gifts. And, and one of my primary love languages, I love to give gifts. I love to, to, to buy people stuff and give people things and get them the thing that they, their, their favorite this or their favorite that. I absolutely love it. So there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Some of us are just wired that way. The problem is it's easy for us to move to the place where that's the focus or, or to act like that it's the only thing that matters. And I know what you're thinking, right? We all think the same thing. Well, I don't do that. I know that that stuff's not the, I know that buying, the problem is like when you look at the statistics about what we all do collectively at Christmas time and how much money we all spend and how much debt we all go into, that almost between 35 and 50% of people are still paying off debt this Christmas from last Christmas. And they're about to go into another 1500 to $3,000 worth of debt this Christmas? Some of us are lying to ourselves if we think we don't do that, right? See, the truth is, if, if getting the thing we wanted wasn't the answer for us, it's not gonna be the answer for the people that we love either, including our kids. I and mean, when we hear so much about joy during Christmas time, but do we actually experience any of it? Any of it? And, and when we do, how, how do we wrap our arms around it in a way that it sticks with us? for more than just a few fleeting moments. Well, I I wanna read part of the Christmas story to you that talks specifically about joy. In fact, the, the four kids today in the kids program actually quoted some of the verses we're gonna read. It's found in Luke chapter two, beginning with verse eight. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company or a great host, a heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So there's so much goodness in this story. And I, I think if, if you've been a part of a church for a while, you've heard these words so much, sometimes we just kind of miss the magic that's in them. But, but did you see it when it started talking about joy? It, that, that joy is a response to good news. That great joy in, the, in what the angel said, the great joy in that moment was preceded by good news. Joy was a response to good news. See, good news is at the heart of our faith. In fact, the word gospel actually means good news. You may have heard that before, but it's not insignificant because the message of Jesus is built on good news and not just good advice. See, there's a difference, right? The the world is filled with good advice. Some of it's religious, some of it's practical. There is no shortage of good advice in our world about anything and everything, about how to sleep better, how to exercise better, how to eat better, how to have better relationships, how to fix your marriage, you name it. There's good advice everywhere. You can find great advice, some of the, the, the best human wisdom has ever come up with in just a couple of seconds in a Google search. There's no shortage of good advice out there, but there is a shortage of good news. See, and, and the way that we respond to good news versus how we respond to good advice is very, very different. Like, like if you, you sat down with a financial advisor and, and they began to give you really good advice on how you should manage your finances and how you should save for your future and what you should invest in, that's good advice. And it's good to take that kind of advice even. It's helpful. It might even change your life but it's still very different from having somebody show up out of the blue and say, hey, you just won the lottery. The way you respond to those two different pieces of information are very different. The way you respond to good advice versus how you would respond to good news are completely different. See, good advice is about what you do. In fact, every other religion, every philosophy, every path out there, including a lot of what gets labeled as Christianity, it's built on good advice. And and A lot of it's pretty good. It's like, here's how you should behave. And then it starts getting into like, here's what you should look like if you want to make God happy. Here's what you should do if you want to go to heaven. Here's how you live if you want to be a good person. But the message of Jesus and the message of Christmas is completely different. Now, to be sure, the scriptures are filled with good advice. They absolutely are. Following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. I believe that with all of my heart. And so, I share on a regular basis a lot of good advice from the scriptures with you right here on Sunday morning. But that is not the core of our faith. It's not even close. All the do's and don'ts, all the stuff you should do or should not do, all of it comes on the other side of and in response to the good news of what God has already done for us. In other words, the hope that we have, it isn't built on how good we've been or how well we've lived, and you know, or that God has somehow weighed out our life, and he's done the math on us, he's run the numbers, he's run the, the good and the bad, and we've done just enough to edge out the bad with the good, and so we made it, we're good, we're fine with God. No, that's not it at all. In fact, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, this guy named Paul who comes into the story of Jesus as a murderer, murdering Christians, and then actually has an encounter with the person of Jesus and it changes everything. And then he becomes its, the, the the movement of Christianity, he becomes its greatest champion. He wrote this in Romans chapter 5, verse eight. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still a mess, while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were the enemies of God, Christ came and gave himself for us, and Christ died for us. God brought us back to and reconciled us to himself by sending us his son, Jesus. Now that's what makes Christmas so special. That's good news. And that is why there was great joy. See, I think part of the struggle that so many of us have at Christmas time is that we respond to Jesus and we respond to the story as if it's just there to give us some good advice. I mean, we believe in him and he's kind of, you know, we're cool with it. God, like we're good. Like it's a beautiful story and we believe in you and we want to make sure we're good and squared away. But God's kind of over in the corner of our life. And we go to him when we're in a jam. We go to him when we need some help for the good advice that he can give us to fix whatever's broken in our life. But if you have that kind, if you approach the Christmas story, if you approach your relationship with God that way, it will always leave you feeling like you're never quite doing enough. You can never quite measure up, like God loves you, but he's sort of permanently kind of displeased and unhappy with you. Can you imagine how it would change things for you. If you're a follower of Jesus or, or you've been kind of exploring or asking questions, trying to figure out if there's anything to this thing, can you imagine how it would change things if you truly, truly knew that you have a heavenly father who delights in you, who loves you, who came for you? If you knew that God is really and truly pleased with you, if you believe that all of the worst things that you've ever done and all of the worst things about you are actually really, truly forgiven. That every mistake and misstep, every hurtful word you've ever uttered, every dark and evil thought you've ever had, every overtly and covertly selfish, self-centered action you've ever taken, every sketchy ulterior motive you've ever had, all of it was forgiven and cleansed and washed away. Can you imagine if you actually believed that, if you knew that? How would you live if you actually believe that God is for you and not against you, that he's completely and totally committed to you and to your good? How would you move into the future? How would you respond to the pain and the instability and the chaos in the world? Probably with a lot less fear and a lot less anxiety, probably with a lot more hope and a lot more love and a lot more grace because that's the good news of Christmas that we live in response to, that God has not abandoned us, and we're not on our own. We are not doomed to be who we've always been. God is for us. Jesus has come, and he's given us his love and his life. Which brings me to the other thing in the story that's about joy. That joy is born in closeness and in connection. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, the angel said, This is the sign you will find a baby. Not a scroll, not a prophecy, not a sacred text, not a prophet or a priest or even an angel. A baby. You will find a person. See, God didn't try to fix or save us or save the world from a distance. He was so committed to us. He was so committed to our life, to our healing, to our salvation, to our freedom, that he broke into humanity and became one of us. See, you may think that you're searching for God, but the story of Jesus is actually the story of a God who comes searching for you. A God who searches for you, not because he doesn't know where you are, but so that when you finally give up, give up and run into his arms, that you'll never forget that you had a father, that you had a savior who stopped at nothing to pursue you, to find you, to bring you back to himself. Because God wants a relationship with you more than you want a relationship with him. And how can you know? What's the sign? How do you know if this is true? You will find a baby lying in a manger, a person, God, taking on flesh and blood, coming to earth. Christmas is the sign. Dr. Jim Wilder is uh, a therapist and has written a lot about psychology and relationships and family. I I love his definition of joy. He says this, he says, joy is the state of elation that we experience when someone is glad to be with us. You know that moment when you walk into a room and somebody lights up because they're just excited to see you and they're really, really happy that you're there? Of course you do, right? We've all experienced that. Like I still get a little bit of that. Like when you're a parent, like you experience that like no other. When your kids are little, man, they are stoked to see you all the time, right? As you get older, it's only the dog. Only the dog's stoked to see you every time. But when you have little kids, so I still get a little bit of that because my youngest son, he was actually on the end over here and uh, he's the one that started like way out of key in one of the songs, uh, super loud. Uh, but his name's Kelton, he's eight years old and he, he's awesome. When I come home, he lights up every time. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where he is, it doesn't matter where he's at in the house, it doesn't matter what he's doing, he's gonna stop and come say hi to his dad because he's stoked to see me and give me a hug. He's still at that age where he just loves being around me. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Hansi and I were talking in the kitchen. He was sitting at the table and he was working on something. He was doing our kids are homeschooled, so I think he was actually doing some schoolwork. And we were talking about something, and like we were, she was giving me a hard time. I don't don't even remember what it was about. And we were laughing, and I was just like, "Oh man, like nobody wants to be around me at all when that happens or whatever, you know." And like I just happened to look up, and he like when I said that, he like looked up, and he had like this like hurt in his eyes, and he's like, "I I want to be with you, Daddy." I want to be with you no matter what. And I was just like, Oh, buddy, you're the only one. Not even mom wants to be with me no matter what. But Hanzi and I, we we're celebrating 28. We celebrate 28 years of marriage, 29 years. Well, I don't even know how long, a long time, a long time. I should know this 28. It was 28 years this year. Uh, in August. I will never forget, August 11th, I will never forget, I'll never forget standing at the front of that chapel, packed out, all of our friends and family there, when she comes walking down the aisle and she was just glowing and beaming and just this, this, this huge smile on her face, and I was so happy but I was just bawling my eyes out. I was so happy, like I couldn't contain it. And so when, you, when we watch our wedding video to laugh sometimes because the mic was on me for our wedding video. And so all you hear is me going. <laughs> the whole time, I'm just like crying like a baby. I'll, ne- But I'll never forget that experience. I'll never forget that moment of seeing her walk down the aisle. I'll never forget that sight, that pure joy of that moment. And that's the idea of what's happening here in Luke 2. See, the truth is, and, and this is what's true about joy. This is what's true about being human. It's not optional. We're actually hardwired for it. Because neuroscience actually tells us that when we're babies, one of the essential components of our development is that a parent or a loved one or a caregiver, somebody holds us close and looks us in the eye, looks us right in the face, and delights over us. And, and those are not just sentimental moments of a mom or a loving grandparent doting over the baby. It's actually creating and forming all these neural pathways in that little baby's brain, creating the capacity for joy and training them how to actually experience what joy is. So I was reading up on joy this week, and one of the things that, that came up several times surprised me, and I, it, it, it kind of bothered me a little bit. And it was this idea that, that it came up, Multiple times that contrary to what we've been told, we don't have the ability to choose joy. And the first time I read it, I was like, you're stupid. What do you know, doctor? You only went to school 10 times longer than I did. But then it came up again and again and again. And inside, I was pushing back. And after all, like I've always heard really smart people and really spiritual people say that we can choose joy you need to choose joy it's a meme sometimes that floats around choose joy and i've read verses like philippians chapter 4 verse 4 my whole life rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice i've even sermonized and preachified on that verse and verses like it myself many times rejoice it's a command choose joy take joy in god And so what gives? And so I was kind of frustrated as I was digging around and reading it until finally I read something that made it all click. And this is what it says, that we don't have the ability to choose joy, but we do have the ability to grow our ability to experience joy by choosing what we focus on. And I was like, ah, there it is. See, if you were to go back and read the context and the whole letter, even just the chapter of Philippians chapter four, that verse we just read, the whole context of the conversation is relationship. The relationship between the guy who wrote it, Paul, and the people that he's writing to, the relationship between all the people that he's writing to and each other, the relationship between us and God, that's because joy is born in closeness and connection. It's the state of elation that we experience when someone is glad to be with us. Now, if that's true, that would definitely change the way that you would read verses like Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, King David wrote these words. He says, "In he's speaking of God, in your presence is fullness. Of joy, And the word that he writes there that he uses for full, it it's actually appears a bunch of different times in the Old Testament. And it's almost always used in reference to eating until you're full, like, like Thanksgiving full, like stuff, like you are full. And so David's going, it's not just a little bit. It's not just something that comes and then fades. It's joy till you're full. It's all you can eat, joy. And where is it found? When does it come? What is it connected to? It's connectedness and closeness with God. It's in God's presence. It's in relationship with our creator, the one who made us. He says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And the word that gets translated into English there from the Hebrew for presence is used more than 2,000 times in the Old Testament. And here's the really cool part. In almost every other place that it's translated, it gets translated as the word face. In your face is fullness of joy. See, it brings God joy to be around you. It makes him happy. His face lights up when you walk into the room. That is the power and the beauty of And the joy of Christmas, the presence of the closeness with the connection to Jesus. Not getting stuff, not the lights and the music and the experiences. All that stuff's great. It's amazing. I'm here for it. There's nothing wrong with any of it. It can be wonderful and fun, but it's fleeting at best. And even empty at times. And it's not that God doesn't want you to have good things. He just wants you to know that getting those things, no matter how good they are, will never, ever, ever be enough to fill or fulfill your life or your soul. Have you ever known someone that was full of joy, but when you looked at their life, it seemed like they shouldn't have been? You're just like, I don't get it. Like, how is it possible? Why is this person, what is it? It's because we understand we misunderstand where where joy comes from. See, we've been taught that joy comes from getting what we want. But joy isn't born from life playing out exactly the way we want it to play out, with us getting all the things that we've ever wanted. It's born from closeness and connection with God who loved us enough to come close. In his presence, joy is full. Being with is better than getting from, or maybe more simply put, presence is greater than presence. Which is why when we focus on things, we miss out on the joy because we miss out on the people and the connection and the relationships. We miss out on God. We miss out on the one who started it all, the one whose presence changes everything. The last thing I want you to see in the story is this, is that joy expands when joy is expressed. Here's what I mean. You know this, joy is a shared experience. It's a communal emotion. When we experience it, we wanna share it. And when we share it, it explodes, it grows. Have you ever gotten really good news or had something really good happen but there was no one there around to share it with you. And so you tried calling people, you, nobody picked up, you texted a few people, they're, they're, nobody could share it with you. And it kind of was a little bit of a buzzkill, right? You're just like, oh, it's still good news. It's great. I'm still happy that it happened. The thing that happened was still great. But the joy that you experienced from that good news or from that good thing was diminished because there was nobody there to share it with you. See, when you experience something wonderful, something incredible, something too good to be true, you want to share it with somebody. It's why when you go, like, the, the, the feeling of joy is multiplied when you go to, like, a, a, a sporting event. You will high-five people and hug people you don't know, and you, you're just friends with everybody around. You, you'll you never see these people ever again in your life. But man, when you're there, you're just like, yeah! And you're so happy when your team is up, or they win, there's something great. Why? Because that connection, that joy, that relationship, that closeness, and then sharing it with somebody just causes it to just erupt and explode. Because joy was meant to be shared. And, and honestly, that's such a huge part of what church is all about and what church is supposed to be about. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born and it starts off with one angel who can't contain it. He can't help himself. He's got to share that good news with somebody. And so he finds some shepherds in the neighboring fields and he begins to tell them all about it. But as he's sharing the good news with those shepherds, the joy begins to expand and it cannot be contained. And all of a sudden the, the other angels want in on it and the sky opens up and Luke tells us that there was a host of angels. No wonder it says that the shepherds were terrified because we don't know exactly how many angels he meant, but the word that he used was a military term that was used for an army that numbered in the thousands. And so as the first angel is talking and he's doing it as a formal announcement, greetings, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. And as he's doing his formal announcement, the other angels kind of fall in behind him like a choir and they start swaying and they're snapping and they're busting the moves. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it's just starting to pick up and then the organ comes in and it's starting to get rowdy. And the joy, and then the song kicks in. There's no shadow, he won't light up. No mountain, he won't climb up. Coming after you. There's no wall, he won't kick down. They're doing the motions, right? There's no lie, he won't tear down. Coming after you. And as they hit it again, all the harmonies break out, right? And even though they're out in the middle of the field, somehow the roof lifts off the place, because before they can get through it again, it erupts into a full-blown rockin' angel party. And the joy is so overwhelming. This giant army of thousands of angels is shouting and partying and worshiping and chest bumping and wing high-fiving and whatever it is that angels do. And then with one voice they shout, glory. Splendor, joy, so massive, it stretches to and fills even the highest heaven beyond anything you could imagine. That's how big and beautiful and wonderful and joyful what we're telling you is because the God who dwells and created and lives in the highest of places has come down to the very lowest place and there's no place that's too dark, no place that's too broken, no place that's too dirty, no place that's too unholy for him to reach you. There's no place he's unwilling to go. There's nothing he's unwilling to do. There's no hostility he's unwilling to endure, even from you, to be with you, to bring you comfort and rest and peace. I mean, talk about something that changes everything. Now, just imagine, can you imagine taking all of that in and shrinking it all down to a holiday where we just buy stuff for people that they don't need with money we don't have, in the hopes that we can all just discover a little bit of joy. I mean, talk about losing the plot. We've lost it. No wonder we miss out on the deeper reality of all that's happening at Christmas. By the way, did you notice that nothing in the story, nothing in this conversation is about joy being conditional to the circumstances that we're in? This is not a message that ignores the realities and the pain of life. The people who all experienced the joy of that first Christmas, they were all living through incredibly hard, challenging stuff, brutal dictators, crushing poverty, oppression. Life was hard and painful for them, just like it's hard and painful for us. But I've got good news of great joy this morning god is here love has come god is with us you're not alone in fact james who was the half-brother of jesus who didn't believe that his half-brother was god until after he died and came back from the dead and then he's like all right that's pretty good proof James writes a letter, and he actually in his letter says this. He says, if you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. What James was expressing is that God will not force himself on you. He's standing, he's so close, he's closer than the air that's in your lungs, and he's just around, he's right there, and he's just waiting for you. And the moment that you will take a step his direction, he closes any distance, any, all the distance between you and him, and he comes and wraps himself around you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so here's what I want you to do with me this week. When you feel yourself kind of getting caught up and focusing anywhere other than the good news of this story, the good news of God being with you, and you feel yourself getting caught up focusing on all the stuff and the the stuff you got to do and the stuff you got to buy and all the experiences and what you wished was fixed and would be different or what's ahead in 2024 and whatever it is that you're worried about or fixated on or longing for that you would just pause in that moment and just say, okay, God, thank you for the good news of Jesus. Help me find joy right where I'm at and in what I already have because you're with me. And so I don't need anything more to get the most out of this moment, the most out of today. I can have joy right here. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've never stepped into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, that's why our church exists. That is the whole point of Christmas that God has come close to invite you into his family. And the moment you take a step towards him, he comes rushing to you. And just simply say, God, I give you my life. It's It's that simple, a simple moment of faith, you exchanging faith. In that moment, God comes close, connected to you. His love, his power, his grace comes rushing into your life. And it changes. Everything. Would you pray with me?